Hello and welcome to the Tea Leaves Podcast, where we sit down to have an ongoing conversation on the Indo-Pacific century, brought to you by the Asia Group. Hello, I'm Kurt Gamble. And I'm Rich Verma. Kurt, great to see you and glad that we're able to continue the Tea Leaves Podcast in our virtual format. We're excited to be joined by a very special guest today. Indeed, Rich. Today, we're thrilled to be joined by Dr. Anthony Fauci, well-known to all of you, Director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases at the National Institutes of Health. Dr. Fauci is the country's leading expert on infectious diseases and has served as scientific advisor for every U.S. president since Ronald Reagan. If we wanted to use the entire time with him listing his accolades and awards, we'd do so, but we're going to move to asking him questions. Rich? Yeah, Dr. Fauci, thank you, and thank you for your service. I just want to ask you up front, how are you holding up? You've been working around the clock for months and months. How, how are you doing personally? I'm doing actually well. I joke around, say I'm I'm running on fumes, but the fumes are really thick. <laughs> so, so I'm able to suck it up and do it. Yes, I'm doing fine, but thank you for asking. Yeah, great. As Kurt mentioned, you've been at this for decades, uh, worked for six different presidents. Just wondering, was there anything about your prior experience on HIV AIDS, on SARS, Ebola, that prepared you for what we are seeing now? Yeah, I, I think the answer to that is is an unequivocal yes. Uh, I mean, as you said, I got involved in a leadership role as the director of the Institute back in the very early 80s. And during that time, as you know, was the very beginning years of HIV AIDS. And uh, one of the things that you learn as you go through the multiple years and decades with HIV AIDS, the anthrax attacks, pandemic flu, Ebola, Zika, chikungunya, you learn a couple of things that microbes and pathogens emerge. They have historically always done that. They're doing it now and they'll continue to do it. But also that when you're dealing with a moving target, you have to expect the unexpected. In other words, you're learning things every single day. It's very similar in some respects to when we first dealt with HIV AIDS when we were learning about the protein manifestations, how it is or is not transmitted, uh, things like that. You really need to be able to be nimble uh, and, and move with as the outbreak, as it were, moves. So I think my prior experiences with this type of an outbreak, different in many respects, it's very explosive. It's been condensed into a couple of months. Remember, HIV was evolving in a very insidious way for decades, and its ultimate impact right now, if you look at the numbers, dwarfs anything that we're talking about now, about close to 80 million people were infected, about 38 million deaths, but it occurred over a period of several decades. Here you have it condensed, an explosive situation, which in my mind, I will tell you, with all the experience that I've had, is truly unprecedented. We've never had a situation that involved the entire planet what other outbreak that we know of has shut down the entire planet the way this has as the only means we have of separating the virus from ourselves? So a lot of analogies to previous, but a lot of uncharted ground. Yeah. And you've said it and you just said it. This traveled with incredible efficiency and velocity. And I, and I guess, is it too early to understand why? Why now? Why this particular virus at this particular time? Right. You know, there is no why to this. It just happens. And let me explain. As I mentioned, 
we have had about 75% of all the new pathogens that afflict mankind are zoonotic, which means they jump from an animal species to a human. Very often, it gets just the right genetic change and the encroachment of the human species on an animal world that it doesn't have enough contact with until all of a sudden things change and you have the jump species. What happens often is that it jumps species and can be very deadly, but it doesn't have any capability of efficiently transmitting from human to human. Classic example was the famous bird flu of 2005, the H5N1, the H7N9. It jumps species from a chicken to a human and about 30 to 40% mortality, which is phenomenally high for any kind of a microbe like that. That was the bad news. The good news is it has no capability of efficiently going from human to human. Then you get the pandemic of 2009, which again was the swine flu. You remember that, the H1N1. That jumped species and was very efficient in spreading from human to human. But it had a mortality that was strikingly low as opposed to high. So you've heard me say, because it got quoted a lot, that as an infectious disease person, what's my worst nightmare? What are the things that I've worried about over the decades? Is a pathogen that had a few characteristics all coming together at the same time. One, it's brand new. It jumps from an animal host to a human. So the human has no prior underlying immunity to it. Number two, it's respiratory, easy to spread respiratory. Unlike Ebola, we have to be actually touching a person who's sick. This can spread easily. Number three, it is highly efficient in spreading from human to human. I mean, one of the most efficient spreaders of, res of respiratory disease we've seen. Measles is the worst, but this is bad. Hmm. Number four, it has a high degree of morbidity and mortality. So when all those things come together in one disease, you have something that is unprecedented, which is what we're going through right now. Dr. Fauci, we've been at the Asia Group, we've been very blessed to have Dr. Rebecca Katz with us for the last several months, and she's been terrific at educating us. I will tell you, most of the time, at least at the outset, I was nervous just about every single day. And, you know, you've helped us understand the risks and stuff. I, I want to ask you a personal question. You know, we're both a little older. I mean, I see you sometimes at your briefings, maybe not as much social distancing as you'd like in some other circumstances. Are you ever personally nervous? Do you ever, like, I sometimes have those experiences where I'm checking to see if I've got a sore throat. Do you experience that or do you, have you just transcended beyond that? Yeah. Well, let me explain it. It's a great question. Uh, the answer to your first question is yes, I have transcended beyond that. Uh, I'm an infectious disease person. This is the life I've chosen. Uh, it was the same way back in the early days of HIV. We had no idea how it was transmitted. And I was personally, personally taking care of hundreds of HIV infected individuals. I took care of Ebola patients. So, I mean, this is just part of my life. So I don't, but I am not careless. That's the point. Mm -hmm. So I am in an age group that is clearly vulnerable. You know, I mean, 
Nobody knew my age until everybody started figuring yeah. Yeah. out who I was. Now people look at me and say, wow, you're really an old man. Well, I, I, I don't feel that way, but I am. So I'm in a vulnerable group. So what I do is that I really am careful. I mean, I, I've, I've taken the responsibility of, of a job that I have, that I have to be in situations where I'm closer to people that I want to be. You'll see me wearing a mask. I don't go outside without wearing a mask. I know I'm negative because every time I go into the White House, I have to get tested in order to protect the president. So I've been negative as of yesterday. I'm going down to the White House today. I'll get tested again. But what I don't do is I don't do anything beyond the guidelines. The guidelines say, wear a mask, stay six feet from people, don't do crowds, wash your hands frequently, and I do that. Do I think about the possibility that I might get infected? Yes, but if you dwell on that and focus on that, you're gonna immobilize yourself. You just gotta be as careful as you possibly can. If I were not in the job that I'm doing now, I'd be locking myself in my house and just working on a computer. I wouldn't be out and about. Let me ask one more question and back over to Rich. So Dr. Fauci, last night I'd had a webinar with some colleagues in China. And clearly this relationship has just completely descended. We're in a very negative place right now. But some of the Chinese were saying, look, behind the scenes, there are some, you know, glimmering signs of hope. And they said some scientists and some doctors are still being able to work together on the coronavirus. Is that accurate? Despite the negative state-to-state relations, are we really able to work together on this shared uh, challenge and threat? You know, the answer is yes, but it is complicated, uh, Kurt. It's complicated because there are two elements that sometimes don't converge. There's the officials in China, and there's the scientists that I and my colleagues have been working with for decades. And, And some of them we've trained right here in the United States. We know them. They are good people. They're honest people. But sometimes they are not allowed to have the free communication that we have. So when you look at China, you've got to look at the scientists who fundamentally are good people. Um, Maybe the officials are also good people, but they certainly are not transparent. So we get sort of like a dual view of China. We think, well, they're all the same. They're not. I mean, we communicate with scientists, and we've done that for a long period of time. Not only communicate, we collaborate with them, and we do good things together. So I think that people need to realize there's the official political group, and then there's the scientists who are, who are very good. Doctor, I wanted to ask you just about some of the vast differences we've seen between countries and whether we have any sense of why. You know, for example, a country like Japan or Korea, New Zealand, very different. You know, why has our experience or Europe's experience, do we know yet, been so different than some of our other friends and allies and partners that have had a very different experience? Yeah. Well, to be humble and honest, we don't know. Do we have some theories? Yes. So what are some of the theories? The theories are how much infiltration into the country below the radar screen occurred before you realized that you had a problem. So you get a place like South Korea, Uh, They had a relatively localized outbreak in a, I think, a religious community in in a place in the southwestern part 
of South Korea, which it was localized enough that they were able to make containment before they had to go to full mitigation because they recognized it early. They knew they were in danger because they were the travel from China is such a part of their normal existence. It's a relatively small country, relatively homogeneous. Then you look at Europe, which is so much more like the United States. I mean, if you look at Europe as, as opposed to a continent, as a country, it's kind of like there are different states there. Right. You look at the United States, there's such a difference. It's not a unidimensional place. You know, there's New York City, there's Wyoming, there's New Orleans, there's Montana. It's very, very different. So what happened with Europe, similar to what happened in the United States, Europe had so many people from China coming in at a time when they're likely was active transmission going on in China, even though it wasn't made known to the rest of the world. It was thought to be just animals to human, very inefficient. So poor North Italy, which has you know, a couple of hundred thousand workers from China, they got hit before they knew it. So they immediately were in mitigation as opposed to containment. Containment means you stop individual things before they blow up. Mitigation means it's already blown up. What are we going to do about it? That's when you lock down. That's mitigation. They got hit. Parts of the United States also got hit that way. New York was the classic example. They didn't get it from China. They had such influx every day of people who could be asymptomatic because we know now 25 to 45% of the people who get infected are without symptoms. So again, New York by the time they knew what was going on, they were already in a phase that was very difficult to control. So I know people criticize, you did it better than the other, but there are so many complicated factors that dictate how the outbreak is going to proceed in your particular country. Obviously, some has to do with how well prepared you are, for sure. But there are sometimes factors that you don't even recognize that are beyond your control that put you in the hot seat or behind the eight ball before you even know it. Right, right. Doctor, here we are, June 17th. Maybe you could just give us a sense of, you know, where we're headed. We've seen some states increasing, some you know, coming down. You've said it's too early to talk about a second wave because we're not through the first wave, but could you give us some sense of where we are today and then maybe to parents and students and those thinking about, you know, September and beyond for schools, any, any thoughts or, or wisdom that you might offer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not so sure it's wisdom, but certainly <laughs> it's thoughts. So uh, again, it gets back to whenever you talk about us, the United States of America, you absolutely have to realize how big and heterogeneous we are because you can't give an explanation unless you put it in that context. So take a look at the parameters that you measure. You measure infection, you measure hospitalizations, and you measure deaths. Okay. If you look at the deaths dramatically going down, in that category, we're doing very well. When you look at hospitalizations, in general, they are going down. 
When you look at individual cases, it isn't steep. We're still at around 20,000 per day. So if you talk about where we are, we are much, much better off than we were a month or two ago. New York City, as an example, way up, came down, they are nicely following the opening America guidelines. They went through the initial checkpoint, which is the gateway. They're in phase one. They're trying to go into phase two. As you get new infections, they need the capability of being able to blunt them. Then, as you see other groups opening, some states are opening exactly the way they should. Others, whether or not it's a decision on the part of the state or not, but people within given places are saying, I've had enough. That's the picture of what you see of bars in which there are crowded people with no masks, beaches, places where people are clearly disregarding what their own states might be telling them, what their own cities might be telling them. That's accounting right now, together with the fact that if you increase testing, you're going to pick up increased cases. But there is a real increase in some places, in some states, that are now giving us a disturbing increase in hospitalizations in some place. So it isn't unidimensional. You get some parts that are doing really well and other parts that are having a disturbing uptick. Now, what I say, and I want to just, I know I've, I've given a longer explanation than you asked for, but, but what we need to do is to not think in terms of public health against reopening. That's not the way it works. Good public health practices can help you to safely reopen. So sometimes there's this disconnect that people think there's those who want to lock us down and then those who say, if I'm not locked down, it's caution to the wind, you can do whatever you want. Those are not the way it should be. You can do both. You can reopen and you could do it carefully. Dr. Fauci, last question, and then I know you've got to run, but I, I want to ask you, one of the things that's so impressive about you is you always seem upbeat, You've got a good message. You've got a, like, let's look at the positives as we go forward. I want to ask you, do you find elements of this frustrating? I myself, I live in Bethesda, or near Bethesda, D.C. Chevy Chase. I walked outside yesterday. A good number of the people around me were not wearing masks. And they're, you know, we've seen some fall off in discipline. Do you ever find days where you go, oh, my God, this is so frustrating? Yeah. Yes. I mean, of course, I'm frustrated. But again, one of the things I've learned over the years is that you got to focus on what your job is and don't get an emotional reaction to something because it can sometimes interfere with your efficiency and your effectiveness. Yes, of course, I'm frustrated. I'm also frustrated at people you know, who say things like, why is he going over so much to one side? I'm not. I'm trying to give a balanced approach. And my balanced approach may not coincide with what somebody else's balanced approach is. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Fauci. We really appreciate you spending the time with us. We are grateful for your service and all your immense contributions. You've been one of the most reassuring figures in our recent history. We're so personally grateful, and we're grateful that you joined us today on the Tea Leaks podcast. Rich? Yeah, Dr. Fauci, thank you. I know 
President Bush called you a national hero, and I, I would second that and third that. You've really done an incredible job for the country. Thank you for being with us. We're, we're really grateful. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, Kurt. I, I appreciate your having having me. Thank you very much. All Bye. best wishes. Thank you. That's six feet when you're out there, okay? You got it. <laughs> All right. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks. And thank you to our listeners. Please be sure to rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. I'd also like to mention that you can access the full video of this recorded conversation with Dr. Fauci online on our website at theasiagroup.com. And you can, of course, download it as you normally do on all of the regular platforms. So stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next time. Bye.